Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hartspade. And today we have a very special guest, a dear old friend of both of ours, actually, from back in the day in the aughts, president and founder of Tell All Your Friends PR, Kip Corey. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. I haven't seen you in a bit, and um, I'm curious to know how the last year plus has been in this universe of wow. ours that's, that's changed so drastically. So I had that office in Tribeca uh-huh. for over 15 years, and wow. last July, I was like, why am I paying rent on this? Totally. So when I realized we weren't going anywhere or doing anything... I closed the office, I emailed them, and I was like, I don't have a lease, so, because I've, I've been there forever, I, I just paid monthly, and so I was like, I'm not going to continue, and they were like, well, let's talk, you know, in the new year, <laughs> Yeah. but I don't see anyone going back, so I yeah. guess I'll look at it in the fall, who knows. Yeah. I feel like my staff is kind of happier not <laughs> being in the office. Yeah. And I'm saving so much money. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a work-life balance that happens, I think, when you're working from home. And, you know, as long as you can stay on top of your work, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm now way more connected to work because everyone knows how to get a hold of you very quickly. That's very true. <laughs> and so they get you, like, either by text or email very quick yeah (laughs) i was going to ask for those who don't know about tell all your friends can you give us a like a quick origin story about when you started tell all your friends and kind of uh what the sort of mission of of the company is sure tell all your friends started in 2006 me and karen ratner worked at magnum pr as with most pr firms happen you know, you get your own clients, you decide to move on. And, you know, and that's what me and Karen did. We decided to take our clients and leave. I obviously called Yoko and I was like, I'm leaving. Will you walk with me? And she did. So that's how telling her friends started. Well, wow, that's a great first client on your yeah, own. Yeah, Yoko Ono, that's <laughs> that not too shabby. That is a great first client. <laughs> and, you know, Karen had, like, Mystery Jets and, you know, all those those younger 2000 bands that we had. I think we were doing Block Party at the time. She was and, kind of a uh, little bit of a blogger, too, like Karen Plus yeah. One. Yes. So now I think she's managing Duran Duran. And, oh, well. You know, and so, like, most Magnum PR was more electronics slash dj slash you know and me and karen were not that we're not those those people we were the indie rock darlings whatever yeah you know and so that time is all yeah 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 and everyone like that so it was it was easy enough move for me and we found space after a little while we and you know we worked through other places and then finally moved in to Tribeca, I think, yeah. It took like a year or something. But, you know, it worked out. It all worked out. How did you come up with the name, Tell All Your Friends? Because I feel like that's 
the perfect name for a PR company. <laughs> okay, so Karen's favorite band is what's the emo band? Oh, uh, My Chemical Romance. No, the other one. Panic <laughs> at the Disco. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Dashboard <laughs> saves the day. <laughs> Taking back Sunday. Taking back Sunday. Okay, okay. <laughs> there you <Whew>. go. <laughs> Seventh guest got it. Okay. It's the name of the record, their their studio oh, album. Oh right, right. And me, I'm not an emo person, but Karen is. She's like half emo, half whatever, indie. So, I was like, yeah, that's great, and I loved. Matt from the band I had a mini crush on him so mm-hmm. I was like yeah mm-hmm. that sounds good <laughs> so we did it I feel like your roster even from the very beginning was always pretty incredible did it kind of feel like a snowball effect as soon as tell all your friends started kind of getting all those like buzzy bands like right at the exact moment yeah I think so it was sort of a lot well at that point a lot of the UK acts were breaking here in in New York and we also had the New York scene in the early 2000s, which, you know, that was huge. And we now know New York is dead. <laughs> but in the 2000s, it was huge. You know, we had Interpol, you know, all of those sorts of acts. I mean, so many bands were coming out of New York. and Yeah, at that time in the 2000s. So, you know... It was very easy because they were all friends, too. Right. You know? And so that went very quickly. And so it, it went from there. And, you know, it kept it kept on. Now I feel like it's still the same, except indie rock is not cool anymore. <laughs> not cool. Yeah, indie rock, I mean, just as a genre, changed, like, significantly. Just the context of what it is. And... Uh... Yeah, it's kind of a different story now. What is it today, do you think? like? So today it is, I think it's more cult indie bands mm-hmm. that stay around, that have stayed around since the time, you know, doing Guided by Voices always. The OCs have always been a huge staple. And, you know, the, those those bands in general that made it through from the like late 90s early 2000s that continued on now have you know now have become cult favorites and i think that's you know i still do like frank black and and so you know i i feel like right now it's just sort of i think it's very it's very lady rock forward lady indie Uh rock forward bedroom pop and you know a lot of a lot of rap since rap has taken over what well, i think they started streaming more than rock than rock mm-hmm. in the last year or two mm. and you know i'm not the biggest rap fan but i do love frank ocean mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah i think that's where the music's at right now and like i'm not competing with it so it's not like you know but, you know, it is it is harder with the publications because they only want to talk about those bands. Yeah. And I just feel like there are fewer publications than there have ever been and there are fewer writers. And I just feel like it's in general, it's a more challenging time, like you were saying, particularly if you're not affiliated with a, a major act in some way or or have, I don't know, some sort of relevance as 
you know, someone who opened for Billie Eilish on tour two years ago. You know what I mean? If there's not like that starting point. Right, exactly. And unless you have those things, and it's weird because people are coming up through TikTok now. And like, I'm not even on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, TikTok, all these sensations, whether or not they make it or not, it doesn't matter. They're still coming up through those sorts of, you know, new outlets, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that I'm yeah, usually usually dealing with. Yeah, I feel like even like mainstream artists get like a rise in sales if their song takes off on TikTok, you know. Right. And you so know. Alice, you know, I do PR for Alice Martin. And so her song No Roots went viral on TikTok last week and it went number five. And this song has been out for, I don't know, what, two, three years? Two, I think. Uh, You know that song, No Roots. It's been getting uh, so many streams right now and mom and pop, like, tripled again. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) She went, like, I don't know, some, I don't know, it's called Viral Global, Mm -hmm. Global Viral, I don't even know. Um, But it was, it was a huge amount of numbers that were streaming No Roots. And I'm trying to pitch another single. (laughs) <laughs> and then it's back to that yeah and then it's back to that yeah i feel like sometimes i'll look to see kind of what is trending on tiktok i'm not there either but just to kind of like see what the what the kids are up into and i feel i've never in my life have felt so out of the loop because i don't know these artists i don't know these songs and then all of a sudden they'll debut on billboard the next week at like number two and i it's out of nowhere but that's kind of how it is right now you know yeah. I agree. Like, I, I don't know where they come from. Literally. <laughs> I've looked at the top 10. I don't even know half these people. Yeah, like, music discovery has, like, really um, shifted towards, social, the, like, this new social media. So it's like, you know, back in the day, for us, it was MySpace, and now it's TikTok, right. you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and even Spotify's not moving it. Yeah. Like it's it's not moving in and I mean, great, you get a playlist or like get exactly. some, you know, you get three playlists, that's great. But Spotify's good like if somebody already like found out about you from somewhere else right. and you can go like listen to their album on there. But as far as like discovering new music, I'm not really like on there discovering new music. No, I usually just get sent bands now and I'm like if if I like it enough, I'll do it. If not, I'll give it to one of my staff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, you know, a lot of like the orchard and the orchard people are signing the TikTok artists. Yeah, exactly. And sending and sending them over. And they're yeah. like, let's see how this does. And I'm like, hey, we'll see how it does. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And, you know, you can... I, I'll always try it. Why not? Mm-hmm. There's there's so many writers that you can just be like, oh, maybe Nylon will like this. You know what I mean? Because it is. A 19-year-old TikTok star who has 300 and whatever. Right. And maybe they know. have some kind of style and swagger to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and something like that, like that kind of artist, I feel, is a lot more palatable than uh, approaching more of a seasoned artist on their sixth album that, I don't know, maybe the music hasn't changed so much from album to album, release to release, but if it's like the buzzy TikTok, young, photogenic, yeah, it makes sense. That's That's what people want to write about. Right. And, you know, obviously, Sony and Orchard are like, whatever, if this is going to sell, we're going to do it. 
Yeah. And you know, I don't under- I don't understand K-pop either, but that's another story. <laughs> don't knock K-pop. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't not like it. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I know. I saw that BTS have like their second English single like top the billboard chart. Which I actually do like that song. <laughs> so. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know too much K-pop outside of like the three or four bigger acts. But right. I never anticipated that K-pop would become so huge internationally and huge in the States. I thought it was going to be a little more regulated to parts of Asia, but that's not the case at all. I was dead wrong on that. Yo, we're trending. <laughs> you are. My assistant left to go to a K-pop. He was like, I'm going to go do K-pop. And I was like, wow. I don't even know more K-pop bands. <laughs> He's like, I know them all. And I'm like, okay. I was like, go for it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. happy. But like, I have no connection to it. Like, I don't I don't understand it, but. It's weird. It, I, there's like some. Kind I of... wouldn't know how to break it like at all. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mm-hmm. I would have no idea. When I went to Montreal, saw Grimes, I was like, I'm on this immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when I went, you know, like when I went to. Where did I go? Where did I see Lizzo? Oh, I knew. No, I got I got Lizzo sent to me, and I was like. This is gonna do really good, mm-hmm. and like you know that like I don't do rap. But I knew I do like the whiter part of rap. <laughs> if like if they're like, oh, let's keep let's give Kip the, um, you know, the the not hip hop stuff. Well, yeah. Well, she always kind of like veered a little more into pop and other right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like I was like, yeah, I can definitely do this because this goes this goes everywhere. And now she's just this massive star, you know. She is. Yeah, incredible. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I knew it when she when I got her Letterman pretty early. I was like, okay, this is this is gonna blow up. Mm-hmm. Right, it's something. Is it harder to kind of get that feeling if you don't see the band live or the artist live, and it's just you know like during the pandemic, you know, nobody was going to see shows or anything like that. Yeah, I mean it's been tough. I would have to say, the last thing I did was before the pandemic was. Cigarettes After Sex played Jimmy Kimmel, so I went to L.A. I hung out with them for a week, and that was literally the last thing I saw with them. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like you need to see a artist live to really catch the vibe and see if they yes. have that star quality, you know? You really do. You really do. And I miss the live shows. I never thought mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like going out, like we ha- we haven't been out in ages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a strange thing, yeah. Because I mean, I-, I don't definitely don't go out as much as I used to, even just before the pandemic. But there right. was definitely a moment in my life where five or six nights a week I was out, and if not seeing one show, I was bouncing around. So it's an interesting kind of transition to this moment. Yeah, I'm actually dying to like get back to live shows, like on a regular basis. <laughs> I but... know. I- I'm a little nervous, but. Yeah, I'm taking baby steps, you know. Mm -hmm. I was hoping we can go way back and if you could perhaps tell us what your earliest music memories are and kind of bands you kind of were obsessed with and loved uh, as a teenager and, and, you know, even earlier possibly. So my first show, I think, was 
I th- I'm pretty sure it was Jackson Five, the Jackson Five at Cleveland Stadium. Oh my gosh. Wow. And like nineteen eighty four, I went with like with my grandparents or something. And then in like, I saw the Purple Rain tour in nice uh, at the Cap Center in D.C. I grew up in D.C. That was amazing. Prince came down in the bathtub, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever!" <laughs> and it was always definitely. And then I was obsessed with Culture Club at that point. Um, I'd seen them twice. I've seen, I saw the Eurythmics at that point. It was all around 1985, 1984. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely leaning towards the, you know, the avant pop stuff. And then I found The Cure, like pretty much, like yes. right after that. I think 1985, 1986. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I started my obsession with them. And, you know, I still love all the, the sort of pop of the 80s, but, like, when you dig deep into The Cure, it's, like, gets really, you know, those first four records are insane, like, uh-huh. very dark. And then, of course, you know, 1986, Morrissey. Like, what do you, I mean, like, The Smiths. Yeah. I, I miss them on tour by a year. And so growing up in my bedroom was all Robert Smith and all Morrissey, like 100%. <laughs> um, like, it was like top to bottom with maybe some New Order thrown in, like a New Order poster and mm-hmm. the House Martins or something like that. Like, it was very British. And that was my, that was my childhood. And then, yeah. And then through high school, it was all Morrissey all the time in the car. <laughs> <laughs> in the car with my girlfriend um, <laughs> and yeah I'll, and then you know all the indie stuff and New Order hit and then Sugar Cubes hit yes. and then all you know it was all like that Stone Roses in fact I just mm. listened to Stone Roses today mm-hmm. the Sundays I love Sinead O'Connor at that point mm. and that was all like mid to late 80s as well mm-hmm. I also started going to see Dead Shows at that point Oh, wow. So. Never would have pegged that. Yeah. I know. Well, <laughs> I had split friends. Mm. Team drug addicts, like you want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Went to the, you know, the hippie side. And I actually did love the Grateful Dead at some point. And I went to UVM and I saw Fish a thousand times. And I'm still really good friends with the Fish as members. But I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. But as members, they're very nice because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I went to school with them. Oh, and that was my two. That was my hippie face. I still love the Grateful Dead, but whatever. My top five are like The Cure, The Smiths, Bell and Sebastian, yes. Bob Dylan, Nick Cave, P.J. Harvey, Bjork. I love Sufjan and I love Anthony. Mm-hmm. All of those sorts of, and any of those genres and whatnot. Mm-hmm. My top 10 is fairly similar, although I probably wouldn't include Dylan, but um, otherwise pretty, pretty close with, with my personal list yeah. as well. <laughs> Lots of overlap there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to start like a cure, uh, all girl cure cover band. <laughs> that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Someone should do it if they haven't done it out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be amazing. Yeah. 
You could do a, a K-pop. Yeah, a K-pop cure. Oh my gosh. Robert that would Smith. Be insane. With like that would be insanely good. <laughs> like goth K-pop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that needs to be a genre already. <laughs> uh, that would you... be everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you have like mixtape memories from back in the day? Like, were you a mixtape maker, a receiver? I was a receiver, and we did have this mixtape in high school around ninth grade. It was called Mike's Mixtape, and my neighbor, Tracy, she was in love with this guy, Mike, and he made a mixtape for her, and we listened to it all day long. Mm -hmm. And it was The Romantics, Mm -hmm. R.E.M., Mm -hmm. The Cure, Boys Don't Cry, Squeeze, Temptation. Tempted by the Fruit of Another. (laughs) Tempted by the Fruit of Another. It was like, it was like, I swear to God, I played this thing like 24 7. And it ended with American Pie, which is really weird, the Tom McQueen. And it put me to sleep at the end, obviously. (laughs) But no more is here on this. Oh, yeah. It was like Eurythmics. Here Comes the Rain Again was on there. Mm. And that was like the original mixtape that I always listened to. It was called Mike's Mixtape. I love and, that. <laughs> yeah, and I just turned it over every single time. <laughs> was there just one or were there copies of this famous mixtape? There were copies. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He could have sold it. <laughs> uh, he could have sold it. It was pretty epic, I have to say. And I, I, I've probably worn it out and made it, I had to make another copy because mm-hmm. I'm I busted in the tape machine so many times. Of course, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it would be all like wrinkled up or cut up. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you try to put it in the cassette player today. I think it was like a love tape too. I wasn't even sure, but it was like, I think the clash, should I stay or should I go was on it. It was like, you know. I feel like most mixtapes are love tapes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, at least mine were. <laughs> and I was like, just get me back to goth. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just throw me the cocktail twins. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Back to goth would be a good title for a mixtape. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So Jen and I both have seen and been supportive of many acts that you have represented through the years and I was thinking maybe we could touch upon some of our favorites and maybe kind of exchange memories. Jin, do you have uh, one or two that you'd like to start with perhaps? I mean I feel like it's so hard for me to pinpoint memories, specific memories (laughs) at this point but you know I've worked with Kip on a few bands that I used to manage back in the day like Dirty on Purpose, Cheeseburger and End of the World but I was looking, I was actually like looking back at emails, Kip, <laughs> like I was like, I was like, I have like probably every email from Kip, like in my Gmail. It just brought back all these memories like Asobi Sexu, The Walkman, French Kicks, Lasavi Fav, Fujia and Miyagi, and then some like more obscure people like Sam Champion and Jealous Girlfriends, and the, but then Art Brute, which I feel like was like a moment. They had like a total moment. And so those were some of my the bands that really like kind of brought back I don't know all the feels and <laughs> just seeing their names in the inbox. 
I love that Breakthrough Art Brute album. I oh, remember seeing incredible. them a bunch when they played Siren Festival. Oh. They did a show with We Are Scientists, maybe a whole tour with We Are Scientists. Yeah, whole tour. That was such a big moment for them. Yeah. What was it like working with them? Was that kind of nutty as like the buzzy indie UK act that kind of crossed over? I, that was also the other one that I took that, that was like, at that time, I was like, I was like, I'm taking our brew. Yeah. Like when I, when I left Magdom, I was like, Eddie, you're coming with me. I don't (laughs) care. But me and Eddie also talk every day still. And he sends me photos of his kid. Oh, cute. His. It's, his name's Jackpot, <laughs> Batman. <laughs> so cute. And he just put out a Dylan cover record as we're talking about oh. it. He, yeah, he did an entire record of Dylan covers. That, that's um, awesome. Which comes out in the fall. But yeah, I remember getting them the New York Times, like, immediately. Like, Khalifa mm-hmm. did it. I was like, oh my god. Oh, okay. Like, New York Times. Great. Blah, blah, blah. And then, like, some Pitchfork piece came, and I was like, okay, this is good. This, and, like, it was breaking at that point. And I think, you know, I was pretty much done with the electronic music at that point. I was like, I'm, I'm done mm-hmm. with this. That's when me and Karen were like, yeah, this is, let's do this. And that's when Dirty on Purpose left, too, remember? <laughs> and, and Sam Champion. I talked to Noah still. Like, you know, it, I'll... The beauty about PR is that you you really do if you stay connected with your if you're with your bands they'll always be there and like they're friends now mm-hmm. so it's like it's a it's a really nice sort of thing to have happen and you know if you do lose bands it's okay mm-hmm. like I remember I remember losing Passion Pit to Columbia and I was like devastated I was like no. Yeah. And that and and um, and you know me and Michael are still good friends, but you just ha- you you have your heart set on these things, and when things don't go your way, it's like you go crazy. But now I'm so used to it that like, all right, I did my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to uh, take it personally, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't take it personally. But a band like anymore. Passion Pit, I remember like you know you being involved with like. Like, I remember they did a pianos residency way back in the day. And then then Passion Pit was on the tip of everyone's tongue. And they were really like the band du jour. And you could tell that it was about to go through the roof, you know. Yeah, that was another New York Times piece. He came, came to the freaking piano show and did a piece on it. And I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and I remember seeing Isaac at... Columbia showing up there and I was like, all right, here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and literally within like a year, they were signed to Columbia after, after, yeah, actually I think the first record is out on Columbia mm-hmm. too. Uh, and I, I stayed on for that and then I got the good record. I also sang on that record. Oh, you did? Studio. You sang on it? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Cause Chris Zane had the studio behind us, you know, the one in uh, Tribeca. Oh, yeah. And and that's where all the records were made. The Asobi Sexy record, the Passion Pit record. Is that records. gigantic? All, yeah. All the Lasavi Fa records were made there. I sang back up on those. Oh, I love that. I love them. Yeah. And then, you know, Chris Zane moved to London. So that studio went to someone else. And then I don't know who has it now because the pandemic. But yeah, I sing on a lot of records. <laughs> I that I did that. PR for. <laughs> 
That's really weird. <laughs> That's I want amazing. a playlist of all the songs you've sang on. <laughs> okay, well, okay. I'll send it. <laughs> I remember seeing Passion Pit just briefly to touch upon them again uh, at Glasslands early on, and I feel like they had just put out an EP, but I want to say, and obviously, Kip, you know better than me, but like, wasn't that group of songs intended for a partner of his and weren't they weren't meant to be public? Or was that just kind of like the PR spin on it? Well, no, they were a Valentine's, they were Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. It was a Valentine's Day gift to his girlfriend at the time. And I think it was Neon Gold. It was Derek at Neon Gold who, that first heard the single gave it to Sid at French Kiss. And that's how that started. Because it was from Boston. And yeah, it took off pretty immediately mm-hmm. when Sleepyhead, you know, came out. I got them like a pitchfork piece pretty quick. And so it went off right like that. You know, as a publicist, there's only four outlets you really want. <laughs> it's like NPR, Pitchfork, Maybe a Rolling Stone piece or Sterigum or Fader. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And once you get one, they all come tumbling. Exactly. Or at least they all come knocking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, but okay, it's also the timing of all, you know? It's just the timing of whether or not the band is going to take off or mm-hmm. not. And so sometimes you... You're you're in the right spot. Sometimes, you know, the record may be amazing, but it just may not be the time. Exactly. I have loved so many acts that you've worked with. A lot of the ones that Jin mentioned, also um, Baron Heaven. One act that I that you've worked with through the years that I've loved from the beginning. Uh, is Chris Garneau, who I feel like is so underappreciated, but he's so amazing. And he's consistently put out these really special, beautiful, kind of intimate uh, records. And I don't know, I just kind of wanted to give him a shout out because I feel like he's just he's just so great. I agree. And so special. Mm-hmm. And so special. And so talented. Mm-hmm. And I feel that was another thing that happened in the press that, like, didn't go his way. And, you know... It's weird when you get marked early and then it's it's a weird issue. Like, I'm still doing his press. I love him to death. I think he's so talented. So I will go to bat for mm-hmm. him, like, at any point. And I just did a new record already recently. And that, and that will never go away. Like, you love those bands. You You know, regardless if they may not go huge or not, and honestly, the greatest thing about PR, you have to love your clients. Yeah, you have, and they have to. to be nice. Mm-hmm. And they have to be nice to you because you really go to bad for them. Yeah. You really do. And I'm struggling with one of my artists now, and I'm probably not going to keep them because it's, it's just like, you know, if your heart's not in it, like. Yeah, exactly. This job's too difficult. Mm-hmm totally feel the same way like I can only work with people that I love and respect as people not only as artists but like as people <laughs> you know like otherwise it just doesn't work for me you know I can't put that passion into pitching them if like and selling them if <laughs> I don't love them and love their art yeah I agree and even if I did love their art and they've turned out to be 
not a nice human being, I'm okay with letting it go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I actually declined something fairly recently of someone who I thought had an interesting project. And then we spoke, we did like a, you know, Skype, Zoom, whatever. And he just had this huge ego and was very full of himself and, and very much had a very, like a false sense of what is realistic in terms of press. And I was like, I don't even want to go down this avenue. You know, I'm telling you what what's possible. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. So like, just just level with me and he just i don't know so i was you know he actually reached out he's like when can we start working together i was like i have a very full plate sorry <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's true you're very busy so i'm like... just i don't want to give my effort it's not worth the paycheck if you're going to be unhappy with the person you know because like you like kip like you're saying like you really are putting all this energy into it and you have to not just believe in them but also have some sort of camaraderie you know, yeah. it's not just the paycheck. I mean, if it was just the paycheck, I don't know, be a different story. Yeah, like uh, you have to like be friends with your clients. Yeah. Like that's the number one thing. Like I could text Chris Garner right now and be like, well, how are you doing? Blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. Or like, you know what I mean? Even James from Asobi Sexu, we talk all the time. You know, like if, and like if you don't have that, report it's like you're it's just not worth it yeah and i feel like there's has to be like that mutual respect so if like they're not listening to you then it's not gonna work either yeah you gotta set those expectations immediately. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> well we could hop in the repeat skip yeah. So let's hop into the first pick. I want to say, but I feel like whenever I um, discuss Morrissey over the last couple of years, or and in particular, well, I guess Billy Corgan also, like both of these folks have said things in recent years that I personally don't agree with, but we are going for the sake of this podcast and also because I've talked about it at length in previous episodes, we're going to ignore their political stances and the bullshit they've said and just go into the albums. So... Um, just throwing that out there. The first record we're going to talk about is Bona Drag by Morrissey, 1990 compilation album, Beyond Legendary. For me, this was impossible to pick um, a repeat because almost every song in this album is, is flawless to me. But Kip, I wanted to know your thoughts on this record and, and kind of how it, for you, where it fits in, in terms of like other Morrissey and Smith's releases. So for me on this record, I grew up with this record and I put all this when the singles came out in the late 80s and the early 90s. I remember like Interesting Drug as a tape and the B-sides and then uh, Last International Famous Playboys tape and I remember the B-sides and when it came out on CD I was like oh thank god that I have all these songs that I had on tape all together in one in one compilation and I was like this is the greatest thing ever. And the weird part about it is that when you pull up my end of the year list, you know when Spotify does that whole mm -hmm. thing? I'm not kidding you. Morrissey comes up more than the Smiths. It's really mm -hmm. weird. Like, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. I guess I listened to him more. Mm -hmm. Like, because I probably overplayed the Smiths in my, as a teenager, and I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to listen to Morrissey. Mm -hmm. So it was probably a good move that he kind of just put them all in one album even though it's like his second album 
Yeah, like, it was weird. Like, when... But I always thought it was weird that they put Hairdresser on Fire and Suede Head and Every Day is Like Sunday on this record because I was like, wait, I know it's a singles compilation with some B-sides, but those aren't really... Right. They were already on... They they weren't really a part of it. They were already on a record. (laughs) So I'm not not mad that that he put it on, but, like, if I were to, like roll over and like I, I, I'll i listen to it but like it's like I don't want to hear those songs I want to hear those songs when I listen to Beaver Hate mm-hmm. fair yeah I wonder if he just like didn't have enough tracks to make like a full album if it was just like singles and b-sides and he was like let's just throw right. a few of the, the good ones <laughs> from Beaver Hate yeah I, I don't know actually how they considered that but I do actually love in 2010 when they reissued it with those five new mm-hmm. songs. Yeah. Now those five those five new songs are amazing. And, you know, like the lyrics, like the lifeguard song, like give me it like <laughs> lifeguard, like it's so mm-hmm. good. Everything and like, you know, let the right one slip in. I love that I mean song. like yeah. God. It's like everything. And you know, and so all of those songs make me so happy, like so happy. I think I remember the most about this. This is because they had the video on VHS of all the mm-hmm. songs. Uh, I loved Ouija board. The video it was so tacky. It's so good. <laughs> so good though. <laughs> it's so tacky. And I remember when November's Fonda Monster came out. And Beavis and Butthead slammed it and was like, who is this person with a bandaid on his nipple? And I'm like, it's Morrissey. I cannot believe he's on Beavis and Butthead right now. That video is legendary, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> his outfit with the open shirt, everything. In, in the, where, where was it even filmed? Like in the middle of the desert somewhere? Definitely in the middle of the desert. Definitely in L.A. You know, when he was, like, done with London, he's like, I'm moving to LA. <laughs> yeah, but that video was awesome. And Indigent Jog, when they're in the, when, with the rabbits oh, with the blood. <laughs> Remember yeah, that? Yeah. that? Oh, God. I mean, literally all those songs are the best. Although I do find it weird that they changed the lyrics on Piccadilly Polare when they reissued it. Because I was like, wait, what? These, this, these aren't the lyrics of the song. I feel like that doesn't surprise me because when I've seen Morrissey live, like he always changes the lyrics to songs when he sings that is live. True. So he's probably like, fuck that. That is true. <laughs> sing my new version. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I've seen him 20 something times, but once when I saw him at BAM, I want to say it was like 2013, maybe. You know, everyone obviously just rushes to the front for a Morrissey show. And there's no barrier at the BAM Opera House, and it's also a very low stage. So I remember when he performed November Spawned a Monster, and it got to the lyric, um, please hug me. Like this woman who was right next to me just literally took one step up and hugged him. I was like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was so, it was so, I don't know, careless and easy and, it just happened so naturally. I, I don't know why I remember that moment because it was so nonchalant, yet I was like, you're just hugging Morrissey. I, I don't know. I don't know. But security was very chill that day. They let it happen and everything. I remember going to Fallon when Jonathan Cohen was booking and he was like, 
I'm booking Morrissey. Can you, you want to come up? And I was like, of course I want to mm-hmm. come up. So I get there. And you know, when you get, if you're in Fallon, everyone's in the hallway, like, you know, running around, like getting ready, blah, blah, blah. He had the Italian guard, you know, all in Morrissey garb. Mm-hmm. They cleared the oh, hallway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. The entire floor because he didn't want anyone near mm-hmm. him. And I was like, wow, this is insane. And I sat, we had to sit by like the television in, in, the, in like the, the side part. No one was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But whatever. It's it, yeah, I know. Anyway. I know. Fine. I mean, the only time I've ever gotten like close with him outside of a, you know, concert where like I get a handshake or, you know, uh, some sort of like eye to eye connection is when he did those shows on Broadway and he had to enter through the side door and, you know, everyone was waiting outside for him and he was actually very briefly talking to people and signing things. And it felt like, I mean, he didn't do that every night, but he did that a couple nights and it was like, oh my God, you're human. But there were definitely some days where he was just like over it, just ran right inside. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know he did that. I would have, I would have went to the side of yeah, those nights. I got, I purpose, I, I knew exactly when his car was getting there. I don't know why I was like, <laughs> I mean, obviously I was Looney did. Tunes for Morrissey, but like, um, I knew the moment his car was arriving. I don't know how I found that information now, but yeah. But those shows felt very special yeah. because, and th- th- that was the last time I saw him. I didn't go to the uh, Forest Hills show that later that summer before the pandemic. I didn't either because I didn't like the set list. I just, I was just like, it's such a huge room. And also I was having issues with him, like on a personal level. I was just like, oh, how many stupid things can he say? I just felt like those Broadway shows were very special because they were intimate. I thought the set list varied a little bit night to night. It did. Yeah. It, something about it felt really like magical. I don't know. And I felt like that was a good way to kind of to go out, at least for now, until I maybe revisit going to Morrissey shows in the future. Right. Yeah. I didn't go to the Forest Hill show either. I was like, I'm just going to stick with Broadway. Those shows were amazing yeah. and I had fun. Yeah. So, Jen, what's your repeat on this release? Well, I feel like I had to pick Soyadhead <laughs> because mm-hmm. that was kind of like the, I was using lyrics from that song as the tagline for my blog back in the day. So. You know, it still kind of resonates for me. You know, because my blog was more of like a diary than, you know, like a news outlet or anything like that. So, you know, I just love those lyrics where, like, he sings, like, why do you come here and why do you hang around? And then later in the song, he says, it was just to see all the things you knew I'd written about you. Oh, so many illustrations. So I, I felt like, oh, I feel like that describes my blog. People just come there see what I wrote about the night before (laughs) you know and so I like that and I also love like when I was listening to it today I was like I love how many syllables he can put into the word why when he sings (laughs) so to which word I'm sorry why (laughs) why, uh, 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 right 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 (laughs) so that was my repeat but you know this was his biggest hit is bigger than any Smith song as far as like charting. And then also I don't they call Morrissey fans like suede heads? Like, I haven't heard that personally, but it, it, <laughs> maybe back in the day, I don't know. Maybe back in the day and it was like a slang term actually, like uh for like a, a subculture of skinhead culture, which may explain some stuff <laughs> about Morrissey. <laughs> That, uh, yeah, because I learned that it's like a very like 1970s English kind of reference. 
where uh, it's like they split off from skinhead culture and instead of being so closely shaved in the head, they had a little bit of hair. (laughs) So Mm. they called them suede heads. (laughs) But it's also like a reference from some kind of like book by some guy who, you know, wrote about post skinhead gangs and stuff and mm-hmm. apparently Marcy kind of read it <laughs> and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. liked the word that's what he claims at least <laughs> so. you know suede head is one of those tracks that i feel like the fans wanted to hear for a long time i mean i first started going to morrissey show, morrissey shows around 2003 or 4 and he didn't really reintroduce suede head back into the set list until maybe 5 6 years ago I don't know. He had some sort of vendetta against that song, but now it's pretty much almost every night. So I don't know. I guess he's had an evolution with that track on a personal level. Oh, that's interesting. What was your repeat? I mean, this is just very challenging because all these songs mean so much to me. Uh, And I feel like both of you had a hard time choosing. (laughs) And I mean, even even the gigantic singles, like I, I can't, I can't skip, you know, Suedehead or November Spawned a Monster or Interesting Drug or any of them. So I think this is just one of those albums where I just cannot choose. I do have a, a, for my repeat, for Skip, definitely I would pick Yes, I Am Blind. I just never, that was never my favorite Morrissey song. But everything else, it's really, really like picking hairs. I can't, I can't do it. (laughs) Too much good stuff. I feel like Yes, I Am Blind, like it starts off like pretty good. Um, but then it kind of, I don't know, meanders into more boring territory. But Kip, did you have like a particular repeat? Mm. I do love Last of the International Playboys mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I used, and I used to love We'll Never Marry. And, you know, I could listen to Ouija board all day long. <laughs> uh, or yeah, and I also love the lyrics such a little thing Mm -hmm. most people keep their brains between their legs (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean best lyric so like literally i could never really i i would never even like i could play this whole record like top to bottom all day long yeah i mean it has a nice flow to it for sure like i don't know i was like listening to it the other day washing dishes (laughs) it's like yeah yeah If I had to pick a non, I still love He Knows, but it's not my mm-hmm. favorite. Yeah, I agree. I also picked that as my skip, but I also picked um, We'll Never Marry. I don't know. There's just both of those yeah. songs kind of like, you know, don't blast me on this, but I feel like they were kind of a little bit more like on the boring side and kind of slow. And they didn't like grab me as much as the other songs on the album. That's the only. I think it appeals to the gay kid in me for "We'll Never Marry," yeah. so that's the reason why. <laughs> "We'll Never Marry" I used to not really care for, and as I've gotten older, I like that song more. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I love. He knows I'd love to see him personally. I don't know. I love. I always love that song. Yeah. Which is another gay song. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I love about this compilation, though, is that it really shows you that, like, back then he was still putting, like, a lot of, like, 
feeling and emotion into his singing and songs and and I feel like that's dwindled a little bit over the years with his solo albums and I'm not as into his like later stuff as I am to his earlier stuff. I'm not either so I feel like the live show has always been for me a very emotional experience but I hear I hear a bit of what you're saying with the more recent releases. I personally don't have as much of a connection with the the last two or three for sure. Definitely mm-hmm. not. I don't even know. I hated low in high school to be honest. Yeah, but it it, it made me like reappreciate, you know, his earlier stuff. Just like mm-hmm. yeah, listening back and being like, this is like the time where I loved Marcy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So it was nice to get that yeah. feeling back again, like just like listening to them. Mm-hmm. Peak, peak, peak. Porn. Yeah. I think we should hop into our second selection tonight, which is Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream from '93. It's their sophomore album. A couple really big hits on this one. Kip, why did you choose Siamese Dream? Okay, so my obsessions with Billy Corgan started in 1990. I had seen them with. Pearl Jam and Red Hot Chili Peppers at U- at University of Vermont, and they were this sort of psychedelic indie mm-hmm. at that point, which appealed to my you know loving psychedelics at that point, yeah. and kind of really heavy at the time, and so Gish, I was obsessed over for a very long time, so good. and then. When Siamese Dream hit, it was July 27th, 1993. I ran to the store in Georgetown at Smash Records, bought it. I listened to it maybe 500 times. That's I was lifeguarding. And all I did was put the CD in and listen to it on repeat and cry for like a year. Yeah. Like immediately. I personally didn't know how big it was going to get. I mean, I knew they were going to do well, but I didn't know they were going to do like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So my obsession with the pumpkins, you know, it stopped at around 98 or something. But I love them. Oh, and full disclosure, I do do Jimmy Chamberlain, Mm -hmm. his solo Mm -hmm. stuff. But like as a kid, that record is so personal to me because it it takes you to another level of like happiness like yeah. like i never I, I didn't know what what was going on in that record i was like this is the greatest thing ever to be honest and then when it really hit with those singles and i was like oh shit today and disarm are about to like blow up the world and in general you know like when I, this is really funny. So when I'm going over, I, ma- I make a funeral list for a party, like my funeral party. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and <laughs> I already have, like, a mixtape for that. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Oh, yeah. And mayonnaise is definitely yes. <laughs> top three. Obviously, I know it's over from the Smiths mm-hmm. is my, like, number one. Right. Clearly going but mayonnaise was my t- that and boys don't cry are like mm. were my top three like funeral mixes i think that record in general is so and it, it really is a dream it's a dream record like you can just listen to that record and fall into a state of like complete happiness 
and that's what it was for me. Yeah, it really kind of takes you to another world. Like, you totally get lost in it from start to finish, for me at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we discussed Gish with Leo Canine a couple seasons ago, and that was uh, such a... (laughs) Yeah, it was such a moment for him. And I have to say, I connected with this release a lot more than than Gish. I think also uh, this album came out and I was, when was this, 93? I was like Mm 12-ish. And I feel like Mm -hmm. um, I was starting to really get into the alt-rock on the radio and whatnot. Whereas Gish, I was too young, I think, to really appreciate it. And um, I didn't really go backwards to visit that album until much later in life. So... I love this record, and I know it's a very basic choice, but Disarm, I always thought that was one of their strongest singles, and that song just kills me. I don't know why exactly. Something about the instrumentation um, or the way Billy kind of sings those lyrics, but um, it's like heartbreaking for me, and I don't know. I just I just think it's a, such a, a classic 90s alt-rock single. I mean, it's a literally about suicide. So maybe that's why. <laughs> it's like one of two songs that he wrote about suicide. I think it was Today and Disarm. Today and Disarm. Yeah. The, yep. And he said he wrote them on the same day. And it was like mm. yep. because he wanted to kill himself. But he didn't have the guts to. Mm. So he wrote songs instead. <laughs> so. That is truth. But yeah, no, I agree. That song's really beautiful. My pick was Mayonnaise definitely (laughs) like it's just a song that I always go back to whenever I think of this record or if I wanted to listen to Smashing Pumpkins at all like that would be the one song that I would go back to and I feel like a lot of Pumpkins fans (laughs) feel that way Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. what I thought was kind of funny though was that it was never released as a single it's like Probably so many fans like number one song, but it was never released as a single. Definitely my go-to depressed and a mess song. One hundred percent. Yeah, I was reading that he, Cor- uh, Billy Corgan said in an interview that when he wrote it, it was just that as a bunch of one-liners. But like now that he looks back at the lyrics, he realized he was he was he was actually channeling inner stuff that he was going through at the time but at the time he just thought it was random lyrics that he thought sounded good <laughs> together <laughs> which is wild to me because it's so meaningful to me <laughs> yeah it, that gets you through it. it it got me through some dark times that right yes mm-hmm. definitely but you had you had like a quite a few of repeats on from this album kip right like oh yeah i mean mayonnaise definitely i love Hummer. I think that song is genius to the end. I also, I I think my all-time favorite video ever is Rocket. Mm -hmm. I remember when that, I was like, oh my god, they made a a video for Rocket? That's so weird. Yeah, that was the last single they released, right? So. Yeah. From this album. And I was like, and that video is, is everything. And even today, that video is so good. And like, the videos that they all, you know, and they all, this is when videos were actually meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, because I think Jonathan Dayton did all of those or mm-hmm. something. You know, even dis- the Disarm video was so good. But I remember, 
I didn't love the Cherub Rock video, to be honest. But whatever, that song is so genius. I think it's like literally the best, like... 22 second guitar lick what you know the the guitar yeah. solo on show yeah. rock i'm sure we could all do it with our, yep. ha- with our heads <laughs> i also feel like it's such an it's so iconic album opener for me like I, yeah yeah uh, yes. yeah especially never, the, the first 30 seconds or so yeah, yeah. like when you first I mean, put on that album and you heard that it was like chills mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like those death drum beat of Jimmy's. I'm like, oh, oh so good. Best drummer ever. So good. God. In fact, like he was the only one in the band that Billy didn't like play his parts on the recordings. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So. Of course. <laughs> yeah. He's. I mean, it really is the Jimmy, the Jimmy and Billy show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have a skip kip? You know, to be honest, I don't really have a skip. If I take it as a whole, I'm, I'll am i take it with the singles. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 21 when this came out, or whatever, 20, I can't remember. When you listen to it before you listen to the radio and they already overplayed it like a thousand times, because when, as a kid growing up, when it, driving around today and Disarm were always played. And I was like... I was like, no, you're ruining my favorite band. Please stop. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like a double-edged sword. They're getting bigger and bigger. And then, you know, you don't want them to get bigger yet. You do, you're do. you happy that they're playing today on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but today and Disarm were so overplayed on alternative radio. It was kind of nuts. Right. Yeah. It was, it was insane. And MTV. I was like, oh, my God. Else. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, make it stop, please. So I wouldn't necessarily skip those songs, but I would say I was definitely over them in the end of 1993. I was like, please make these two stop <laughs> playing on the radio. Makes sense, yeah. And then, of course, they moved to Landslide like very quick mm-hmm. after they released Pisces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I skip, chose to skip uh, Space Boy. <laughs> and... I don't know. There's just something about that song that didn't hit me as deeply as all the other tracks. Like, I felt like I could totally just just relate to all the other ones, like, a lot more than I did this one. And I guess the song, it was about, like, his brother who had cerebral palsy and a host of other kind of health problems. And, and, and then, in general, it was, like, about being an outsider and like that those kind of feelings and in that way I can kind of relate to it but you know the lyrics themselves yeah didn't hit me as much but you know still like the song just Mm -hmm. like if Mm -hmm. I had to pick something to skip (laughs) that would be the one that's another great song Yeah. yeah I feel like it's just such a strong release from start to finish um, I wound up picking, um, what is it called? Sweet Sweet Yeah. for my skip, just because I felt like it was slightly misplaced on the album, perhaps, and maybe unnecessary. I don't know. Um, how dare and it's you? probably the one I remember the least. <laughs> what was that? I said, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's like a minute and a half long, but I feel like it's a really good minute and a half. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good minute and a half. But it is weird that it's placed there, I do have to say. Yeah. 
But this is pretty great. And then, you know, I was a fan of this album. And then, you know, once I was 15, 16 and, and Melancholy came out, I had the Zero shirt and I was like full Smashing Pumpkins heaven. Yes. And then it kind of fizzled after that. Yeah. After Adora, I was done. Yeah, I think yeah. same. I was like, okay, this is my obsession went from 1990 to 1998. Mm-hmm. And now I'm done. Mm-hmm. I still love them. I know the politics and mm-hmm. all. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I ha- you know, we have to separate the art from the yeah. artist. Sometimes it's easier than others. Some days it's easier Some than others. Some days it's easier yeah. than others. I mean, I don't think I still anything get weird ruin Siamese stream for me. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, no. Let's be honest. Absolutely not. <laughs> what were you going to say, Kip? You get weird texts? I get weird texts over, over Morrissey and Billy. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Because everyone knows I still love them yeah. both. Yeah. And they'll t- and they'll send me some you know whatever crazy thing Billy said this week or whatever crazy thing Morrissey said this week and I'm like yeah don't care mm-hmm, mm-hmm. still listening to them mm-hmm. every day you know it's funny I took a little sabbatical after the Broadway run of Morrissey shows mm-hmm. just I don't know I think at that point I was just like everything was kind of all the statements at once were just like, oh my God, I need a little distance from him as much as he's in my soul. I just need a little distance. And it's only been the last few months uh, that I've kind of been going back into the catalog. I'm like, oh my God, I missed these songs over the last year, year and a half that I've been like mm. protesting silently. Like I really, those songs just um, are, are ingrained in me. And um, I, I can't, I could be angry with him, but I can't be angry at those songs, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, there is, like, a separation kind of thing. Yeah. Also, I think it's probably why we're not, like, as into later releases, you know, the, the more recent releases. is like, I don't know. Maybe it's tied to, like, them going off a little crazier <laughs> these days. But, like, I don't know. Maybe it affects the music somehow. But we have such emotional and nostalgic attachments to the old good stuff. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's harder to let go of. Like, you can't control necessarily how you're you emotionally kind of are affected by those songs i feel like that kind of stays forever you know yeah i agree and it'll never go away yeah. i mean they say like that's why we're in the music biz. exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah music kind of like ingrains in our brains for for a while mm-hmm. And we don't even necessarily really know how exactly that science works, but, you know, even people with, like, dementia or Alzheimer's could sometimes kind of react to music with memories. Yeah, I feel like it was a really good escape for me when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It it did. It worked wonders and still does. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll listen to three hours of music a day when I leave the house to go running or do whatever and like okay music music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and you know everybody walks around with like headphones in their ears you know it's like especially in new york you want to drown out the fucking city don't talk to me (laughs) i can't hear you i have Mm -hmm. headphones on (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know so uh, yeah it's definitely an escape so good well, thank you for joining us today, Kip. Thank you for having me. I know. It was this really is fun. A fun one. We are thankful that you joined us, and we will catch y'all next time. The next episode will be our season finale. <laughs>
So stay tuned. Yay. <laughs> Catch you soon. Yay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.